0: Welcome to Inside the Jets. We're broadcasting live from Vanderbilt Sports and Spirits inside the Wyndham Hamilton Park Hotel. The schedule is impacting everyone because Eric Coleman is not here, but uh, one of my colleagues, Ethan Greenberg, has come to Vanderbilt Sports and Spirits, and we'll also be joined later by the (laughs) multi-talented Olivia Landis as well. But First off, Greens, uh, welcome back to Vandy's. Thank
1: you. I appreciate that. My biceps are not quite as big as Eric Coleman, but hopefully I fill his shoes just fine.
0: Okay, we'll get you on the program. And since we are live tonight, we're actually going to be taking folks' calls. So it's 800-919-3776. So get in. Let's talk some Jets football. Ethan, what do you think about the green and white, this five-game stretch? A lot of people were looking at it and saying, This is time for the Jets to do some damage, and they actually won four out of five, capturing a come-from-behind contest last year, uh, yesterday against the Miami Dolphins.
1: Well, I think, one, it doesn't really matter who you play in the NFL. Four out of five is four out of five. And I think, obviously, the one that sticks out is the loss because the Bengals were winless. But yesterday, the Jets did a good job on battling back and winning that game. And, yes, they were helped out by a defensive pass interference call, on the last drive, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on, but I really think that yesterday's game showed something if you're a Jets fan, because Sam Darnold was not his best yesterday. The offense was stale in the second half after coming out hot, getting a 16-6 lead in the first half, and then did not find the end zone in the final two quarters. Jets still found a way to win, and you put the ball in Sam Darnold's hands, and he made it, he made it happen. Yes, Vincent Smith had a 37-yard pitch and catch, but that's part of the game, and well, beat, I, I think it's an encouraging sign for the Jets. Well, they really. beat
0: the quarter blitz. And, and in terms of Sam Darnold, that was his 23rd start in the National Football League. His third come from behind victory in the fourth quarter. No apologies necessary in the National Football League. Listen, that would have been a tough defeat. Like you mentioned, they had a 10-point lead in the second quarter, but they found a way to win after a very tough loss against the Cincinnati Bengals. I know a lot of people were thinking, well, maybe you get to Baltimore and the Thursday night showdown with the Ravens at 6-7. and seven. Instead, the Jets 5-8, and eight, missing the postseason for a ninth consecutive year. But I would like to reiterate that Joe Douglas took over as general manager of this team in June. He has never went through an offseason here as the football architect of this team. So a lot of work yet to be done, a lot left to be play for, and the Jets were three and one in the third quarter of their schedule.
1: They start the fourth quarter of their schedule one and zero. Did I was thinking about this just a couple hours ago. Did yesterday's game feel anything like exactly a year ago uh, in Buffalo? Jets built really. I looked at the stats. Okay. And. I'm asking you if it felt the same. It felt the same for me because I don't think the Jets played their best football last year in Buffalo. They came out with a win. Same thing yesterday. AFC East opponent, yes, this game was at home. Last year, the Jets won 27-23 on a come-from-behind victory. Eli McGuire punched it in to the end zone on fourth and one. And the Jets' last drive, nine plays, 61 yards, they score a touchdown. Yesterday, what was it? I'm sorry. Last year, seven play, 41 yards. Okay. The, the key play is right. down the sidelines to, to Robbie Anderson. Who, who, again, is scorching hot in December. But yesterday, it felt like the Bills game, and it felt like it was another notch on Sam's belt that you, if you're a Jets fan, you're encouraged to see that type of performance at least late in the game. I understand he didn't have his best game statistically passing the ball. He threw a pick that was, you know, I think it was an ill-advised throw. But at the end of the day, he led the team down to be in a position for Sam Ficken to kick a game-winning field goal
0: well and we do have to say that Adam Gay said he did not put Sam Darnold in a good spot on that interception and again listen you want players to make plays when the game is on the line did the Jets get good fortune with the pass interference call well it depends how you look at it because the bottom line was that was a pass interference by the book that's why officials overturned the no call We were talking about it in the press box and wondering, okay, where's the league going to go with this one? Obviously, he was there early, makes the play on Vincent Smith, cornerback Nick Needham, and that's all Sam Darnold and company needed. He throws the short ball to Ty Montgomery. Sam Ficken, ice water in his veins, 44 yards, drill it.
1: And Sam Ficken, he missed an extra point earlier in the game, so to have a, uh, a shot at redemption, is something that he said that he was actually very much looking forward to. He said it was the best kick of his pro career. I mean, Sam Ficken is somebody that's bounced around the NFL from a couple different teams, finds a home with the Jets after the Jets had their own kicking struggles in the beginning of the season. And Sam Ficken, he's no stranger to game-winning field goals. When you look at his career at Penn State, struggled as a freshman. I mean, Sam Ficken received death threats his freshman year in college. He did. In Happy Valley. And then his senior year, kicks a game winner here at Yankee Stadium in the pinstripe bowl to give Penn State the win. So uh, Sam Ficken has um, experience under pressure. I think a lot of kickers do in different degrees throughout their career. But I think that's something that will only boost the confidence of Sam Ficken moving forward over the last uh, or the next three games, should I say. Inside
0: the Jets is supported by Selective Insurance. Be uniquely insured, Eric Allen alongside Ethan Greenberg later will be joined by Olivia Landis, who actually wrote about the very hot Robbie Anderson yesterday. You can read that on NewYorkJets.com. But, Greens, let's get to the pass interference call. The vice, senior vice president of officiating said after the game, after we look at it, we get a couple of replays which show us that it's clear and obvious that the defender grabs the receiver by his shoulder and significantly hinders him before the ball arrives. Vincent Smith, after his 35, 37-yard catch and run, said about Needham, he came up on me and grabbed my right arm. I knew it was pass interference from the beginning. I had another one in the beginning of the game they didn't call.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think Sam Darnold said the same thing, though. He said he let go of the ball, and he thought it was pass interference when he saw Needham rip the right shoulder I don't think that it's a question at least for us when we were in the press box I don't think we were questioning is it or is it not pass interference the question was will they or will they not overturn it because the narrative so far this season it's been hard to get a read on what the league has or has not overturned and I think it was the right call I mean you clearly see Vincent Smith's shoulder get ripped around before the ball made it to Smith and that tough drive for Needham, not only for the pass interference call, but a couple plays before on the Smith catch-and-run. Needham is the guy coming off the corner on a blitz and yeah. barely misses batting down Sam Darnold's pass. Actually, Needham came off the blitz earlier Early in the game, game. and right. knocked down in the, the second ball. Half, yeah.
0: right. uh, we're going to be taking calls later on uh, Inside the Jets, 1-800-919-3776. But, Greens... Jets travel to Baltimore Wednesday. They line up against perhaps the NFL's most complete team, the Baltimore Ravens, Thursday night in what should be a raucous atmosphere. But how is the schedule changed back across the street at one Jets drive? Because Adam Gase addressed the media on a conference call today, as did a few players, because the schedule's being changed. Because it's a short week. You basically have two days of work. And the Jets aren't really getting in a typical practice.
1: No, they're not putting on shoulder pads or helmets. They're going through two days of walkthroughs. And Adam Gase said that every year since Thursday Night Football has been implemented, he's done something different to try to basically improve the health of his team, whether it was in Miami or here. And the Jets have been banged up all season. We know this from the get. From week one, even the preseason when Avery Williamson went down, Till now the jets are second in the nfl or were at least entering sunday's game in the amount of players that they've used on a game day and i think, i believe the number was 68 different players well right? well here's the other thing is they lined up against the miami dolphins without
0: their best overall player star safety jamal adams and also without their top yardage leader in terms of um from scrimmage in Le'Veon Bell. So both of those guys didn't line up against the Dolphins. You were still able to get out of there. with and, a
1: w. Uh, and Gase said in terms of those two guys, Le'Veon Bell had the flu. He's close to 100%. And Adam Gase wouldn't say if he will, in fact, play Thursday. But he said things are lining towards that direction now. He and was supposed to be back in the building. He's not contagious anymore. I think he'll be there for the walkthrough tonight. Now, the walkthrough is tonight because Adam Gase wants the players to get used to practicing at night because it's Thursday night football. And in terms of Jamal Adams and will he or will he not play on Thursday, I think it's obvious that Jamal wants to play. You kind of got that sense when Adam Gase was talking to reporters.
0: Interesting comments. We
1: we know what Jamal wants to do. (laughs) But Adam said that it's not really up to Jamal because Jamal will, will sacrifice himself to go out there and play against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, this is This is a game, if you're a competitor, you want to be out there. And this will be in the hands of the trainers, the doctors, Adam Gase, and Joe Douglas. And Adam Gase basically said, if it's not right for Jamal, we have to do what's best for him. Even even if Jamal really wants to go out there, he's going to want to hold him back and make sure he's 1,000% because Jamal only knows one speed. Yep. So many things
0: to get to in terms of injuries because Ryan Griffin went out against the Dolphins so the Jets were lining up in their 11 personnel with Daniel Brown was the guy predominantly against Miami we saw the rookie Trayvon Wesko getting in there when they went to multiple tight end sets and you can't say enough about Greg Williams and we're going to talk about him later and what that mash unit did against the Dolphins bend but didn't break but they have a totally different challenge against Lamar Jackson and company. And speaking of Lamar Jackson, apparently
1: he's day to day with the quad. We'll see. Yeah. He was limited in practice, but again, the Ravens didn't practice either as a walkthrough. Mark Andrews did not practice or would not have practiced and staying with, same with Ronnie Stanley. So if Andrews and Stanley alone can't play, I mean, that would be big news for the Jets. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But, uh,
0: 800-919-3776. We're going to come right back with Olivia Landis. You are listening to Inside the Jets on ESPN New York.
2: 44 yards away for Ficken to try and win it. Out of the hole The Edwards. Clean spot. Kick on the way. It is good. Inside the right, upright for Sam Ficken. over Miami 22 to 21.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Jets. Jets reward members, don't forget to enter the code JUKE J-U-K-E in your Jets rewards portal. During this show, to earn 100 points, Eric Allen and Ethan Greenberg here at Vanderbilt Sports and Spirits. And now our player guest segment is presented by Amity Bank, the official community bank of your New York Jets. Instead of a player, I up to ourselves this week because we've brought in our colleague <laughs> the multi-talented Olivia Landis give her a give her a round of applause
3: uh, thank you guys thank you for having me I really appreciate it okay I live up to the players Amanda.
0: oh you're gonna do great so where were you when Sam Thicken hit the 44 yard field goal because you actually are all over the place on game day and I wanted to know where you took it in because uh, I don't even know that answer
3: yeah so I was actually close to the 30 yard line Um, me and our executive producer, Chris Gargana, we were sitting there on the sideline, watched it. I I remember literally turning to one of our coworkers and thinking, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't watch. But I did, so uh, yeah, I was close to the 30 yard line and watched that, which is pretty sweet.
0: So what changes for you in terms of, okay, Ficken makes it, Mm -hmm. take me through your responsibilities. At that moment, what do you got to do?
3: Well, after he makes it, and we know that it's a win, We always do, and as you guys know, we always do a post-game interview live on the Jumbotron with a player as soon as the Jets win. So immediately, me and Chris Gargano were already like, okay, what do we want? Who are we going to get? We knew we were going to get Marcus May at that point because, you know, he's standing tall in a depleted secondary. So uh, right then and there, we're getting ready and prepared to have like a 30-second turnaround because we're rushing onto the field and then snagging Marcus May as soon as we can.
0: That was probably the easiest get for you in terms of getting to Marcus. Because Sometimes he's yeah. very evasive in the locker room, and you both know that, <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah, yeah he, he, can, he can be
0: evasive. He, he seemed very he – he, he was very happy after that ball game. Oh, and he had reason very, why. Very,
3: very, yeah. very happy. And like you said, it was awesome to finally get him because I remember actually, Ethan, you can attest to this, at one point um, in the locker room this season, Marcus was like, all right, you guys can't get me until week 12 oh. for an interview. And we're like, okay, fine. I come up to him week twelve and I'm like, Hey, it's time for our interview. <laughs> we, we, we
1: took note, we took note that Marcus said week twelve because yeah. there's no way Marcus would have remembered that. Yeah. But there's a very good chance that we would have remembered that. Oh, Which it, we did. Oh uh, listen, Marcus
0: may great dude. Yeah. Hard to pin down sometimes, but yeah. when you have a conversation with him, he's great. One, one he's of the, great. One of the best guys in the locker room, there's not about it. And he's a Florida Gator, so. Oh okay. okay.
1: Right. Okay. That right. gives him <laughs> the edge for EA. <laughs> uh, just going off this, um, off of what EA was saying Not only at the end of the game, like, what are your game day responsibilities? And you start in the press box, you go down to the field, you basically have two homes on game day. Absolutely. So what are your different responsibilities at home?
3: So home games are always super crazy, but it's a lot of fun. They kind of differ um, depending uh, which week it is. But to give a kind of overall, what I basically do is I will shoot – Pre-game, uh, you know, pre-game central presented by Pepsi. You and Anthony back to I'll shoot my island hit. Yes. Before then, sorry, guys, spoiler alert, that one's not necessarily live. Um, <laughs> shoot that one beforehand so that I always have to do a few hours before the game starts. And then by the time I get back, I usually find you, and then you and I have to do keys to the game, which we do right by the MetLife gate entrance, which is always really cool. Um, there's one game left. If you guys want to come watch that, we're yeah, we, home we, game. we need
1: we need some love at the keys of the game. We need
3: some love. There's, That's out at MetLife, right? Yeah, yeah, right at the MetLife yep. gate entrance. That's me and Ethan Greenberg right there on that big stage, and we're
1: MetLife 50. Yeah, time you can't miss us. You
3: can't. No, you really can't. No, yeah. but
1: yeah, but you don 't like to
0: stop. Uh, so I think it's fascinating because you're doing like triple duty because then you're in the press box for a little bit, but mm-hmm. you uh, it's kickoff. You were actually down on the field for most of the first half because. You talked to a couple of alums, I believe, and then mm-hmm. also a couple of youth football players. <laughs>
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah, those were really funny. So, um, I don't usually do that, but yeah, like you guys said, so I was on the field for the entire first half of the game, interviewed. WWE legend Mick Foley. Yep. I didn't grow up watching WWE, but it was pretty cool because everybody in the fa- in the stand seemed to know who he was.
1: He's a legend. He is and, a legend. I was going to say, and said. the press box people in the press box know who he is.
3: Yeah, and then I interviewed Laverne um, lavernius Coles, which was really cool. Uh, we talked about his Monday Night Miracle game and that reception. Um, so yep. that was really sweet. That was actually his first career touchdown catch, which yep. came in two thousand, which was really cool. Um, and then after that, uh, like you said, I interviewed a couple of youth football players. And those are always really interesting to interview the little kids because, you know, kids are so honest and you never know what they're actually going to say when you interview them. Um, so I had to make sure that they were Jets fans yeah, so when I interviewed them.
0: <laughs> so then you roll up, I believe, and then after the game you start penning a piece on Robbie Anderson what do you think yep. about Robbie Anderson like greens mentioned in our first segment here he's streaking again in December what do you make of the connection because that's what you used in the headline that connection that he has with Sam Darnold
3: yeah so I actually was able to talk to Robbie Anderson after the game and something really interesting that he said and I wrote about this like you mentioned was that They don't prepare, obviously, any differently than they would in practice. So he's said that they were just taking what they were doing in practice, translating it onto the field game day. But what really stood out to me was when he was talking about his connection heating up with Sam Darnold. And he mentioned how he just feels like Sam now trusts Robbie enough to where he's just going to give the ball to him and let him do his thing. So like you guys already said, three 100-plus receiving yard games. And... Sam Darnold not only talked about it yesterday, but he also talked about it today on player conference calls. He was really just talking about how Robbie, when he gets hot and he gets rolling, they go with it. And we saw that yesterday. So, yeah, I think Robbie is on a hot streak. And you you mentioned this. You, you said the colder it gets, the hotter Robbie yeah. Anderson well, gets. Statistically, when
1: statistically, you look at Robbie's yeah. numbers throughout his four-year career or three-plus-year career – his best numbers are in December. And last Absolutely. year in weeks 13 to 17, he was eighth in the NFL with 384 receiving yards. That's really when Robbie and Sam's connection took off. And I think what you just said, that it intrigues me that Sam Darnold is at the point where he just trusts Robbie. Yeah. Because you, you've you seen it in glimpses where Robbie Anderson, of course, is coming over the middle more. Yes. But he's really had a lot of tough catches and yeah. one that stands out against the Raiders on the trick play, the end-around flea flicker. like Ro- Robbie had to catch the ball over the defender, and against the Bengals last week, he got cracked over the middle, hung on to the ball. Even yesterday against the Dolphins, I thought there were a number of catches that were difficult catches that Robbie Anderson ended up with the ball, well, well, and I'm sure you talked about that with Heinz uh, Ward.
3: Yeah, I, I did, and just actually building off of that, Um, One other thing I wanted to mention Sam Darnold said it yesterday post game. He said oftentimes Robbie Anderson gets cloud coverage and That's you know when the safety comes over the top because Mm -hmm. of how fast he is And so he said that's why a lot of times this season Maybe the stats haven't been showing up on the stats sheet. It's because of the coverage that defenses are providing on him So I think you know,
0: it's a a good point. Listen That's gonna dictate where Sam Darnold's gonna go with the football the more attention Robbie gets the more ball distribution goes elsewhere. But Adam Gase has said this guy's super aggressive with the ball. He tracks the long ball better than perhaps anybody in the National Football League. You both have mentioned the expansion of the route tree for Robbie Anderson. We're seeing a lot of crossing routes in this offense, um, Adam Gase's offense with Robbie Anderson. His toughness has been showcased over the last couple weeks, especially and deep ends, making the catches. And if you play one on one against him, 14 is going to find him. And we saw that last December. We're starting to see it again. And oh boy, do the New York Jets need it Thursday night against the Baltimore Ravens because we can get into that matchup later. But Baltimore has one of the best group of cornerbacks in the National Football League. I want to get into your sit-down with Hines Ward because the week following the Jets and Baltimore Ravens, Jets are going back to Pittsburgh, and Hines (laughs) Ward knows a little bit about the Steelers, but we're going to come right back. You got a little time?
3: I have a little time. Okay, so
0: we'll come right back on the other side of the living landis. We're going to talk more Jets, Ravens football. We're going to get to your calls. i got to get to Ira, 800-919-3776. You are listening to Inside the Jets. On ESPN New York.
2: Darnold alone in the backfield. Takes the shotgun snap on first and ten. Drops the throw. Under some pressure. Fires one right over the middle. Robbie Anderson's got it at the five. Scoots into the end zone. That's a jet touchdown. Creativity.
4: Ten seconds.
2: Stepped up in the pocket. Extended the play. Robbie Anderson came free. 26 yards. And the Jets have the lead. Inside the Jets is
0: presented by EY, Building a Better Working World. Eric Allen alongside Ethan Greenberg and Olivia Landis here, Vanderbilt Sports and Spirits, inside the Wyndham Hamilton Park Hotel. We're going to get to your calls momentarily, 800-919-3776. Ira, Rich, Artie, Gary, we're getting to you momentarily, but I have to talk to Olivia here about uh, your sit-down with aforementioned Hines Ward. What did you take from that?
3: Yeah, so he was an absolutely awesome interview. I asked him a lot about his playing career and how that kind of influences the way he coaches now. And, you know, we were talking about it right before when we were on commercial, we were talking about how he won Dancing with the Stars and he had a a short stint in TV, but he said coaching is really, really an area that he's loved so far. And because he was the Bill Walsh intern this yep. summer, and then he transitioned into an offensive assistant, he was talking about how he really tries to be humble, and he doesn't necessarily push what he's done onto his group of wide receivers, which I thought was really interesting because, you know, you would think being a Pro Bowl MVP, a Super Bowl, or yeah, a Pro Bowl, a Super Bowl MVP, a Super Bowl champion, that he would, you know, kind of show them the way with how he did things but he's like no i i'm honestly very humble i don't like to push my success on to other guys i'm really just focused on them and you know we got into robbie anderson yep of course what do you say
0: about robbie you know robbie always mentions heinz ward
3: always and i even told him that i was like he had high praise for you this training camp he's like you know he's he said he loves robbie and what he is focused on most with robbie is making sure he doesn't see himself as just a one-dimensional wide receiver And I actually think Robbie has talked about that a lot, about becoming more of, uh, you know, a multi-threat receiver. And he said he's really trying to make sure and focus that Robbie doesn't think, hey, I can just catch a deep ball and that's it. And it's just about my speed. He said they've done a really good job so far this season of instilling different routes, learning, you know, different types um, of ways to approach his receiver game, which
0: listen, only be good. Listen, Ward. One of the most complete receivers in the history of the National Football League. I know other guys had more stats, but when you think about his career in Pittsburgh and what he brought to the table and how clutch he was and what a vicious blocker Mm -hmm. he was as well. I love the coaching staff the Jets have assembled in that wide receiver room because he got Sean Jefferson paired with Heinz Ward. Mm-hmm. I, if I'm a young receiver in the National Football League, like a Vincent Smith, like a Robbie Anderson, perfect staff to coach these guys up. And then you add another guy to the mix, like a Demarius Thomas. I say the same thing. Who's, yeah. He's
1: like a third coach.
0: Yeah, like a third coach, Greens, you know, because he obviously has familiarity with the system.
1: And, and, and Demarius Thomas, the thing that stands out to me about Demarius Thomas, not even about his play, is that for a guy to come in – late after week one, and he's wearing the C on his chest, meaning he's a permanent captain of this team, and he's doing something right, and the guys in the locker room love him. But I wanted to ask you, Liv, something that EA had briefly mentioned about Sean Jefferson and Hines Ward. You've interviewed both of those guys. I don't think fans see a lot of these guys, obviously, in person. You see them on the sideline. They're both very animated on game day. But how do those guys complement each other, and how are those guys different in personality and coaching style?
3: That's a good question. I think um, Sean Jefferson is just so animated, which I really love about him. He's he's very honest and upfront with his emotions, kind of wears his emotions on on his sleeve. But he's very vocal, I would say. I think he's a very vocal leader. Whereas when you look at Heinz Ward, he said he approaches each player differently. He said some guys I can yell at and that'll motivate them, he said, but some guys that doesn't work. He didn't name any names, so I don't know who yeah. takes the <laughs> yelling better than others. But um, I think maybe he's a little bit more specific in his approach, Heinz Ward, um, into each individual player. But Sean Jefferson, you know, he's he just I love his approach too because he's just so authentic to himself, and I think the players like that because they can trust him. You oh. know, so very different personalities and two totally different approaches, but it works.
0: I have to be honest; I was a little bit scared. Inside one Jets drive today because we did have <laughs> Hines Ward in the building the former Steeler great Of course, he's there <laughs> well, every day, but when we bring Bart Scott. Oh, yep, <laughs> Into the building as well. Those guys have exchanged pleasantries over the years fortunately uh, That's not happening anymore, but the, those two would bring it every time and th- those rivalries that rivalry between the Ravens and Steelers very real
1: <laughs> I'd, <laughs> love to, I'd love to see heinz ward and bart scott in a room watching film of old ravens Steelers games and just i don't know if i'd like to talk that. About it. i'd want to see it Fine. as long as they promised that they wouldn't they get might. physical yeah, yeah.
3: well uh, it's funny that you said that because actually we we asked heinz ward about bart scott and he's like you know what um he's like me and me and bart should be good we're <laughs> we're too grown for that so i actually because i did um my next gen stats segment with bart scott after i did my interview with heinz ward i was like hey heinz heinz said let's bury the hatchet are you up for that and he was like all right fine uh, but you know bart
0: <laughs> yeah it, it, there you go you looked that up youtube it later folks <laughs> bart scott heinz ward yeah, oh yeah oh yeah they went after it they did uh, over the years okay let's get to some calls let's start with uh, ira and Staten island ira what's going on buddy
4: Hey, what's happening, Eric? What's happening, guys, over there? Hey, Eric. How's it going? Hey, good, good. Everything's good. You know, just give me an extra second here tonight. I know you got guys waiting, but I just have to throw this out here. You know, I've heard a lot of negativity on the radio today, and and I had to shut it off. It's very refreshing to hear some positive stuff after we beat the Dolphins yesterday. I'm not going to make excuses or throw back because maybe it didn't look pretty. The bottom line is it's hard to win in the NFL, and we beat the Dolphins, we won our first division game of the year, and we won four of our last five games. I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to say, oh, well, it was a soft schedule, we played weak teams. We ended up winning four of our last five games with everything that has gone on, with every piece of adversity that you could throw at Adam Gates in this coaching staff, between Sam getting sick, with 15 players on IR, multiple injuries, and... Look at the job that Greg Williams has done. You guys are probably too young to, re- to remember the movie, The Dirty Dozen. Okay? he took a bunch of misfits and they turned them into an Army <laughs> unit. You know exactly where I'm going. And that's what Greg Williams has done with this defense. And, and I think they've done a massive job to hold the Dolphins to seven field goals yesterday. You know, I hear people complaining, well, they got down the field for seven field goals. But guess what? He kept them out of the end zone. And that's the big story of yesterday's game. And the same thing with Donald. Was he perfect? No. Did he make some mistakes? The sack was a bad sack. But guess what? He bounced right back and he hit Montgomery with that 12-yarder. Mm-hmm. Because if he doesn't make that play, Pickens going for 55-yard field goal instead of a 43 or 44-yard field goal. So I'm tired of listening to all the negativity. I get frustrated too. But listen, at five and eight with three games to go, with everything that's happened, uh, let's see how they finish out the year. I, I, I think uh, some positive stuff the last couple of weeks.
0: Well, thanks, thanks for the call, Ira. Listen, I love the positivity. Me too. I, I always brings that. Yeah. When we look back at this season, listen, I know in a press release it's written about the number of games the Jets uh, have missed in terms of the players and the seven starters on injury reserve and and on and on about the adversity this team has definitely endured. But they're still going. They're 5-8. and eight. Nobody is jumping around the locker room saying we're champions. (laughs) They know exactly where they're at. And when you look back at the season, you're probably going to look back at a couple games and say, Buffalo, 16-point lead, game one. You're going to look back at Jacksonville in December. Right now you're a better team than Jacksonville. When you went down there Mm -hmm. with the situation you had, you weren't. Cincinnati, you look back at that one and say, we should have had it. Well, what about Miami, Miami the first time? in week. Miami nine? the first time. So woulda, coulda, shoulda, but every team in the National Football League can play that game. The bottom line is you got to finish it out. And now with the new regime, with Joe Douglas and company, you, you got to let them address where this roster is weak and needs more depth and needs more talent up front. They know this is not a perfect roster. they got a lot of work
1: to do. And, and I think that... A lot of fans have faith in Joe Douglas to address the needs up front because you you hear about Joe Douglas, and he's a former offensive lineman. And so far, you know, I mean, it's a small sample size. Joe Douglas, I think, has done a, a pretty good job here. And I just want to circle back to something Ira said about the schedule and how a lot of people point to the Jets' opponents being weak. Well, I'm going to steal a phrase that's commonly used, but very commonly used in the NFL. You can control what you can control. What you can't control is who pops up on your schedule and how those teams perform throughout the season. I don't care if the Jets beat the Dolphins. I don't care if the Jets, whoever the Jets beat, a win's a win. And to Ira's point, like when you look back at the season, it's always 2020 hindsight to EA 's point, but when you look at the Jets' schedule, when we were all looking at the schedule from week one, you're thinking, okay, week two, you're facing the Cleveland Browns, odds on. you know they were prime. Su- time. They were primetime. Everyone wanted to put the Browns in the Super Bowl. The Browns haven't lived up to that hype. So at that time, you're thinking, okay, the Browns are going to be a good team. The Cowboys, when the Jets played them, hot team since have trailed off. Even the Eagles in week four, the Jets were depleted with injuries. But at that time, the Eagles were a playoff team that's dealing with some bumps in the road. So, again, every to me, every NFL season is unpredictable, at least – when you're trying to say that team's going to be good, that team's going to be good. Yes, there are some shoe-ins, but more times than not, a lot of these teams don't end up playing the way that you would think. So, again, you can control what you can control. It's not the Jets' fault that they have the Bengals and Dolphins and back-to-back weeks, and those teams perform how they perform. And the, the only thing you can focus on is getting a win that week, and the Jets did that yesterday. How about you, Liv?
3: Uh, I, I agree with that just because when you look at it, Every game is winnable and every game is losable. Like It is so hard to win in the NFL, and players say this all the time. Coaches say this all the time, and I agree to your point. It's like when you look at a schedule, especially at the beginning of the year, you always kind of want to make assumptions or guesses as to how the season is going to go. Nine times out of ten, it never ends up the way you think it's going to go, and teams, like you said – are never going to play the way you think they are. Not not only in negative – I'm not just speaking in negative terms, but positive terms as well. It's absolutely. Just, it's so absolutely unpredictable, and we see it every single week. Things that happen in the NFL, you're always like, what? Yeah, like I don't <laughs> think a lot
1: of people projected the 49ers to be one of the two top teams in the NFL absolutely. at this point in the season.
3: I don't think so either.
1: Can you –
0: I do think we do have to look at this and add some perspective and say – You lined up in your secondary yesterday with Marcus May, who is the only Jet defensive back to have started all 13 games now. Maurice Kennedy, Nate Harrison, rookie Bless Austin, who started the year, hadn't played a game since Rutgers 2018. Kyron Brown, who actually got hurt yesterday, was placed on injured reserve. I mean... You don't make apologies for what happened. And and Daryl Roberts moved in order to safety. Again, again. So you played that game without Jamal Adams. So, yeah, Miami got in the red zone six times. They came away with zero touchdowns. All the credit to Greg Williams and those guys busting their tails. Because I'll tell you what, it could have been worse. Philadelphia Eagles will tell you that because the Miami <laughs> Dolphins the week before they scored Miami scored at six consecutive possessions alright we got one more segment 800 919-3776 we'll come right back you're listening to Inside the Jets on ESPN New York
2: Donald, alone in the backfield takes the shotgun snap on first and ten drops the throw some pressure. He's got it at the five, scoops into the end zone. That's a Jet touchdown. Creativity from Sam Darnold. stepped up in the pocket, extended the play. Robbie Anderson came free. 26 yards, and the Jets have the lead. Welcome back to Inside the Jets. We're
0: broadcasting live from Vanderbilt Sports and Spirits inside the Wyndham Hamilton Park Hotel. Eric Allen alongside Ethan Greenberg and Olivia Landis. Uh, Joel's helping us out back in. The NYC, we got Justin here, our technical director, every week. And for those watching on NewYorkJets.com, Noah's taking care of us each week here at Vanderbilt. So we appreciate everybody. Uh, We have so many callers in the queue. We better get to a a couple calls as we look ahead to the Jets, Ravens, Thursday night. Let's go to Richard, who's been on hold for a while. You're in Manhattan. Uh, Richard, go ahead. Hi, Eric,
2: Ethan, Olivia. How Hi. you guys doing? Great. Good, good. All right, I have two pass interference plays that I saw yesterday, one in the Jet game, one in the San Francisco game. I don't understand what I'm watching anymore. All right, the Jet game. The Jet wide, uh, wide receiver was going, no, the Jet defender was guarding the Miami wide receiver, right sideline. And the ball was severely underthrown. There was incidental contact. Both re- both the receiver and the defender were battling a little bit hand and, you know, hand co- combat, but nothing major. Yes. But the ball was completely overthrown by seven or eight yards, underthrown. The wide receiver had no chance of catching. They ran into each other, and they called the flag. Jets didn't challenge it. Nothing happened. But that was – you, do you know the call I'm talking about? Yes, we do. Yes. I, I don't know about
0: them? the call another game. i got to be honest with you. I was all Jets <laughs> yesterday. I saw a little okay, bit of the so Sunday you, night game.
2: <laughs> all right, so you agree
0: that that was not – that was should not have
1: been a no call?
2: Well, thanks for the call, Richard.
0: Uh, Greens, I know you wanted to comment on that.
1: Well, I, we were talking about in the press box yeah. yesterday – if you're blessed, I, I, I think this is the Bless Austin play yeah. when I don't know who the intended receiver was, mm. but Bless is almost getting hugged. And he's trying to, you know, the, the rule in the NFL is if you're a defender, you have to look back for the ball. And in Bless Austin's case yesterday, the only way he could look back for the ball was literally like bending his back backwards and looking over like over his head. And I don't know what he's supposed to do in that situation but I think under the rules it's supposed to be a defensive pass interference call I don't know uh, given I, the, I don't know given the new rules if you can challenge and then say that the ball was uncatchable though
0: well that's the thing with pass interference is a lot of times to Richard's point you see the pass interference flag get picked up because the ball is uncatchable okay Where you don't see that happen is if a defensive holding. Defensive holding is just five yards, first down, and here we go. Um, Yeah, listen, uh, officiating crew yesterday, there were a couple calls where maybe you go back and look and you talk to the league about it. I mean, because each team every week, they go back and watch the film. They submit a report to the league. That's all part of the deal. Um, It's a tough job, no doubt about it. The big thing for a defensive back, no matter what happens, wherever the ball is, try to find it because yep. you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt nine times out of 10 yeah. if your back is facing the quarterback.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. And if I, it's the play that I'm thinking about. It actually happened right in front of me. And I remember thinking in my head, if you're bless Austin, you have to at least try and turn as best possible because like you said, the biggest thing on a call like that is you have to make a play on the ball and he didn't even turn so I think that's where that call came in and you know whether you agree with it or not like you said I think 9 times out of 10 the DB is not going to get the benefit of the doubt.
0: Yeah, let's uh, move on here and go to East Haven.
2: Gary, you're on the line. All right. Listen, guys, you have a great show. I love this. And you know with Rich Rich from Manhattan, I call it grilling the host with Rich from Manhattan um you guys uh i'm a big jet fan i moved up to east haven i know it's i'm in bad territory up there but still <laughs> the thing with the the thing with the jets man I, I always emphasize the offensive line i talk about it and i just don't want to be on too long those shows any but i found out about you guys from jonathan friedman's show talking sports he talks about you guys he's a big jet fan and he loves it and that's how i found out about the show and I, I i'm hooked on i'm a jet fan i mean talking sports with Jonathan Friedman is a great show, but talking to Jets, you need Ira from Coney Island or City Island where he's from. Island. Staten Tremendous. Island. And Staten Island. Right, right. There's an island there, even though you know <laughs> half of them aren't even islands like there. Coney <laughs> Island's not an island, yeah, I, I got you, way. Gary. So island. what do you got with the <laughs> offensive line? Oh, the offensive line is, yeah. listen, uh, you know, you really can't, to me, you cannot evaluate a quarterback to get him an offensive line. Because you can still tell if he can get the ball out to the receivers. It's nice to have good receivers. But without that offensive line, that, that's, the, that's the genesis of the offense. That's where you move it. That's how you can evaluate this guy and really know how good of a quarterback you are. When you have 400-pound linemen sitting on your head, it's very difficult to do an evaluation.
1: Thanks for the call, Any Gary. Any follow-ups? G- Gary, I think, Well, one, we talked about it a little bit. I think we all are in agreement here, Eric, Olivia, and myself, that Joe Douglas will address the offensive line moving forward. And, one, about the Jets' offensive line this year, I mean, they might be the the position group that's been decimated by injuries most. They've had somebody start – they've had at least two players – Start across the line at each position, and some positions have had three players. When you think about left tackle, Kelvin Beachum, Brandon Shell, and Chuma Adoga. I mean, the Jets have been decimated by injuries, and I know it's still the regular season, but if you're looking ahead to April and the draft, this is, as it stands, a very good draft pa- uh, draft class for offensive tackles. So, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of players depth and a lot of talent the Jets can add in free agency. And then the same thing in the draft.
0: I thought the offensive line actually had a bounce back game against Miami after a tough showing against the Bengals. Bilal Powell ran for a team high 74 yards on 19 carries. I like the volume too. 32 carries in all for 112 yards. And Sam Darnold is a very effective play action passer. It's going to be a monstrous test for this team um, in Baltimore Thursday night, short week. But, uh, Ethan, thank you so much for filling in for Eric Coleman. Olivia, I said you were going to come on for two segments. You came <laughs> on for three. The we're so up. thankful
3: Listen, for I'll you just, just stopping
0: by. And the Alan Han show is coming up here on ESPN New York. But we'll be back right here, Vanderbilt Sports and Spirits, next week for Inside the Jets.